Hello and welcome to the Leadership and Insurance podcast. This is the podcast for all things innovative and new in the insurance arena. Um, predominantly, we're speaking to InsureTech founders, but also kind of leaders of insurance businesses that are implementing change and making things happen um, and shaping up what leadership looks like in 2021 and beyond. Um, in this episode, um, I was very lucky to be joined by Sasha Gain-Lulin, who is the CEO of Battleface. Uh, Battleface is a tech-enabled travel insurance and services company company and um, we cover so much ground on this one and I think travel is a really interesting area of the insurance market because as we talk about in the podcast when you're making a travel claim you really can be in a position of peril it, it can be a very different experience you know it can be you need extraditing from a country you need emergency medical assistance so there's actually a lot of uh, stress and focus on the quality of travel cover but as we talk about it's something that we think is just ubiquitous and cheap and and, and price dependent and I'm certainly guilty of that so we talk about how kind of really the behavior of consumers their travel habits um, and the world we live in today through kind of different booking apps and 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 the way that human beings now interact with travel and their travel experiences has has kind of led the demand for a new travel insurance business and and, and Sasha's looking to provide that. Um, thanks you to Sasha for your time. This is a really kind of honest and and and, and good podcast and and Sasha took time out of the kind of this was actually recorded in like at the Christmas Christmas window. So um, really appreciate Sasha jumping on this podcast. Um, it's a good one. I hope you enjoy it. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Leadership in Insurance podcast, uh, otherwise known as The Lip. I'm your host, Alex Bond, um, and I'm very lucky today to be joined by um, Sasha from Battleface. Um, good good morning or good afternoon, sir. Where, where are you in the world? I can't remember. <laughs> good morning, yes. Uh, right outside of Washington, D.C. in Virginia. Ah, lovely, because we were just, I confused myself because um, for, for the people listening, we were just talking about Brighton and Hove, which is where I'm based. So um, for a moment, I lost them. Um, but sadly, you're not based there anymore. Yes, yes. I'm a bit behind you. So <laughs> so how are things in, uh, in Washington um, at the moment? Uh, what, what, what state of lockdown? We need to talk about COVID lockdown scenario first, as always. Oh, it's all a blur, I guess. It's all the same for the last few months. So yeah. <laughs> Uh, we're still at our house and uh, not really interacting much with friends. So, yeah, I, it's, it's um, I don't know why it's reassuring to know it's as difficult in other parts of the world. I think it's because we, we keep beating up on our government that they're doing a worse job of it than any other. But um, I, I, through this podcast, I've been talking to people kind of across the globe and um, I think, I think everyone seems to be struggling with it. So, um, anyway, we won't we won't we won't rest on that too much. Um, uh, Sasha, would, be, would you be kind enough to introduce kind of Battleface, uh, you know, the business, and um, yeah, give us your sort of elevator pitch on it. That'd be that'd be great. So we start that off. Sure, sure, absolutely. Well, Battleface is a is a travel insurance company that's uh, been designed or was started to essentially start making a difference within the travel insurance world, because as a team we come from an extensive travel insurance background. Mm -hmm. And what we saw over, over the last few years where the travel industry has been going through rapid changes 
unfortunately, travel insurance has not. And COVID-19 actually had proven uh, that point where many, many products out there or services were not ready for today's times. Mm-hmm. So you, you touched on it there, but you, so you've got quite a long history in the travel industry, insurance industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, uh, I guess uh, that's uh, all I did for the last 20 plus years now. I used to say for the last five years. Now it's <laughs> plus years. Um, I never thought I would be working within travel insurance or insurance period. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I've uh, started out for working for a company back then. It was a small um, family-owned business, Travel Guard, that was started out in Wisconsin. And Travel Guard grew to be the largest travel insurance company in North America. Mm-hmm. And, and I think at the time, Travel Guard was actually the um, kind of the unicorn of travel insurance uh, because the founder, um, John Noel, saw an opportunity of starting a travel insurance company within the uh, North American market and uh, was probably one of the first companies that did that. Um, so yeah, it gave me an opportunity to learn about the industry from, uh, I guess, firsthand. Um, and uh, just because I was, uh, I was, I'm originally from Russia and I spoke, I speak Russian English and, um, and one of the, and Stevens Point, Wisconsin, when, where Travel Guard was founded, is a small town in the middle of nowhere in Wisconsin. And I think, uh, John or the executive team was grabbing anyone off the street that could speak any other language <laughs> but English because they were building an international company. So I was exposed to the world of glo- global travel insurance right away. Uh, and that's what got me to Brighton as well, um, living and working out of Brighton because the company bought a travel assistance company uh, that was based out of Hove. Um, and that's where I learned the most important parts of travel insurance. How do you help people when they need it the most? And um, so, yeah, that's kind of what my specialty is within travel insurance. It's actually state um, emergency medical and travel assistance. And then eventually after Travel Guard was bought out by AIG, I ended up working for AIG for many years as well, doing the same thing, building out their global operations. Mm. So, because that, that's, um, I just wanted to sort of pick up on that that metal resistance and when things go wrong. So, that presumably where's that's where the name comes from. You know, battle faces. Because um, most travel kind of insurance focused companies are they're quite fluffy. The name is is is, is kind of uh, travel. <laughs> yeah, more of you feel know, like battle face. And um, well, well, and I, I think that kind of goes goes back to the actual origins of the problem. Um, um, when I was working for AIG, eventually I went on to build out a subcontracting company for AIG that was um, handling emer- emergency medical cases in conflict zones and emerging markets. And uh, for example, uh, AIG is the largest crowd, uh, insurer in the world. And in, at the time, and still do, they were insuring uh, large corporations who were doing work throughout Africa or Middle East um, and, and even the platform that we've built at Travel Guard to do emergency medical assistance mm-hmm. was not applicable for these particular contracts because you needed to have people on the ground in these countries in the event of medical emergency, uh, essentially coordinating um, medical evacuations um, from Afghanistan to India or 
from Iraq to Jordan. Mm -hmm. And in order to do that, we have to have higher people on the ground um, to be able to coordinate these kind of transfers. And uh, so that opened up a whole new world of medical assistance uh, for me. Um, and it was extremely interesting to see how, um, how you could do this kind of work in these particular territories. But on top of it, um, this is where we've seen kind of the gaps within the travel insurance market because we started to see many travelers going into emerging markets, into different type of places, and mostly were millennials because no longer, this is where the change in the travel industry has happened, where our grandparents were used to going to, you know, Paris, France for vacation or Mallorca, Spain, or something that's very standard, where people our age and younger were interested in more of an experience-based uh, travel, or they were driven by, you know, the uh, contract, uh, independent work that they were doing so for example freelancers or NGO workers or contractors and and many of course naturally come come to you because you're in the industry and saying I couldn't find travel insurance or um, if I do find a company that's willing to insure me I go through uh, lengthy application forms and then eventually the price is too high um, and so it's it just became a problem as over and over uh, so yeah, the battle face name, of course, came out of the kind of the uh, uh, innovation part of the of the company and the team that I was working with. Actually, it came from Chris, who uh, who was the original founder of the company that was doing work for Tangiers International um, for AIG in these countries, and and I think it was kind of more of a sentiment to uh, um, you know people going into into unique destinations but then not able to find the right policy or the product and how can we start to change the industry um, and make it more inclusive. And, and at the time we were concentrating on freelancers and journalists. Right. Uh, and I remember this journalist that kept saying, you know, I keep going to a battlefield and I put my face out there and nobody wants to insure me. <laughs> so <laughs> just, I guess <laughs> that, uh, that worked uh, quite nicely. So it's, um, it's kind of a sort of, I think I find the travel insurance industry, particularly the sort of the, the, the section of it that you've gone after, particularly the kind of high risk, more bespoke um, coverage, it, it really puts insurance under the microscope in, in the best way, in, in that, you know, you have a real tangible impact. You know, a lot of times, for example, if you think about the claims process, it's very long, it's laborious, and really we're looking to get someone back to a financial position they're in before. When someone's coming to you with a claim situation, it's a very different situation because quite often it's like, can you get me out of this country? Can you get medical assistance? You know, it's a real kind of hands-on, um, effective, helpful tool. And I don't think insurance is looked at in that light. So kind of in a way, it's, I find travel quite interesting from that point of view because it's, you know, it's like a real world benefit that you, that you really, really need. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, obviously throughout the years, I've seen so many different stories um, where uh, people's lives were impacted um, just in, in all kinds of different directions. Mm. I remember my very first case was um, um, one of the first cases, I guess, it was the, just a, a fam, uh, older uh, couple that was traveling. I, I think it was somewhere in the, you know, like New Zealand or Australia. 
and uh, and they were involved in a car accident and the father passed away. And I remember the mother I was that I was dealing with, she didn't know how to tell the story to her kids and uh, who were back at home. And that was the, like the first time when um, I think we started to utilizing conference calls within our company that was back in the travel guard days. Mm-hmm. And I remember conferencing the mother with all of her kids and, and she got to tell the story about what happened and everything else. And then that moment, it was just like, wow, I'm like in the middle of this human, you know, drama. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and what quickly I realized within like a matter of two minutes, I needed to step in and start telling the entire group of people what the next steps are. And mm-hmm. coming in from that, not emotionless type of perspective, but more of here's what we're going to do next. And yeah. we're going to get in touch with the embassy. We're going to organize because that's immediately questions like what's next? What do we need to do? Do we need to jump on the, on the plane? Mom, do we need to help you? And this is where we realize that we're doing something that is quite unique. And, and this is the approach that I guess any travel insurance company would take when they do medical assistance. Because um, I mean, most of the time people don't call you that something great happened, right? <laughs> While they're traveling. So it's usually something that, uh, that they need help with. And uh, yeah, and it's kind of, and now it's like naturally in my brain, you know, every time I, I hear something, uh, even with my friends when they travel, it's just like you, you, you become to be that person to solve the problem. So. Yeah. Oh, are you, are you the guy that's on call when your friend's away and something's gone wrong? <laughs> yeah, yes, I, I, they do. And of course, I, you know, like I'm a big um, supporter of, of having travel insurance, you know, and many of my friends, even my friends don't think about travel insurance. And sometimes for my mom, for example, she'll, she'll never buy it because she comes from a background where I only buy things that I can use, <laughs> essentially. Mm-hmm. And that's so I would secretly buy a policy for her. Um, <laughs> because uh, it's you know it's one of those things that uh, it's quite important and um, but yeah it's a it, it, that's kind of um, why we we're so passionate about battle face and what we're doing is because um, we know how important the policies are we know how important the products are but then when we started to look into the conflict zones to start with or emerging markets we quickly realized that the same exact problem doesn't apply only in the conflict zone areas, but also in the standard destinations. Mm. Um, at the time, we were trying to solve war and terrorism exclusion. So, um, uh, so for example, Tunisia, one of the popular destinations for British travelers, if there's a terrorist attack um, uh, in the resort, the insurance companies have the right to deny your claim because war and terrorism is one of the top exclusions Mm-hmm. Um, that exists on travel insurance policies um, or immediately they stop selling policies for you to travel there. So for example, if there was a terrorist attack in Tunisia and then you had um, uh, you had uh, your flight booked just two weeks after that, insurance companies have the right to essentially deny cover because uh, all of a sudden British government would come out and say it's not safe to travel to Tunisia. Mm-hmm. Uh, and people don't know that. And I think COVID-19 kind of like exposed that to the world uh, overnight. Mm. That's, and that's the thing with travel insurance, that it's hard enough buying household con- content insurance in the UK that, that actually cover, covers you adequately. When you look at something like travel, and, and as you touched on there, you know, I remember when growing up, people went to Spain or they went to France. Um, 
you know, now it's, it's absolutely vanilla to have had the typical travel experience of someone going to Thailand or the Philippines or, you know, Japan or, yeah. and I'm not saying that these places are risky, but what I'm saying is you're going into a different jurisdiction, a different legal coverage. You don't, you don't know the risks and, and you need that expertise of someone to say, look, if something terrible happens or something bad happens, this is what the next steps are. And, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are traveling either without it or that or assuming they're covered because they bought this one size fits all coverage. And, and presumably for a lot of cases, they're actually not. Yeah, that's, <clears throat> I mean, there's, I mean, there's, and that's kind of like the problem that many countries are discovering too. Like here in the United States, there was a huge uh, regulators basically. I, I mean, the, it, it comes out from different angles. So one, um, insurance companies are still selling the same products that they've been selling 40 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and of course, 40 years ago, the way our parents or grandparents traveled was completely different. You know, they went to a travel agency, they went to a tour operator, it was more predefined. So it was easier for insurance companies back then to build one size fits all type of products uh, because they were just based on high volumes and uh, low pricing. And then eventually uh, pricing kept going down and down um, but the, where, and this is what, and I, I, I think this is where it's not fair on the consumers because, um, for example, distribution channels are becoming more and more expensive. If an insurance company wants to distribute through an airline.com type of space mm -hmm. or a large aggregator site, those companies are asking for large commissions, um, for sharing, you know, for selling the products on their websites, then insurance companies are paying out those commissions, but then at the end of the day, it's the consumers who are suffering because mm -hmm. the benefits are they're getting slimmer and slimmer and slimmer because, you know, like if you're paying somebody 60 to 70% commission, like how are you going to pay claims at the end of the day? Yeah. Um, so, and, and that's what, you know, we weren't solving that problem when we started, but we discovered that problem really fast. <laughs> because every time you know you speak to a distributor, all of a sudden they want these high commissions. You're like, well, how how in the world would we be able to to do that? So, so that's um, um, and but then that goes back to the products that are being sold. So then I think I remember in, during COVID nineteen there was a big New York Times article right on the homepage where the question mark is travel insurance worthless question mark, and and that's what COVID nineteen discovered because all of a sudden all of these restrictions came into play, uh, including with the airlines that were selling products that, um, that they were selling for many, many years. Um, and then consumers in the UK, for example, they, they came to discover that they couldn't cancel their flight um, uh, because flights were still going to places like Spain and Italy. Um, but the exact same policy that they purchased from their airline was not covering them while they're traveling because mm. the government said it was not safe to travel because of COVID-19. So all of a sudden consumers were left with thousands of pounds of unrefundable expenses that they would lose, hotel and airlines and everything else. And, and they didn't want to travel without being protected. So mm. that's really interesting. So, I mean, we, we sort of strayed into the realms of what I was going to ask you, sort of a broader question of, of what the sort of the impact of the sort of pandemics had on the travel insurance industry has has that been it it's kind of shone a light on 
what's wrong with it. But presumably also there, there, there must be opportunities that have come out of that, particularly as, you know, something more bespoke um, that you're sort of talking about there. Um, well, yeah, and, that, and that's when you start to think back a bit, at least, you know, from our experience, you know, when, the, when I started working in the travel insurance industry, September 11th was the biggest disaster as my first experience. All of a sudden, September 12th, no one's traveling. Um, no one, I remember actually I was coming back from Brighton a few days before that and, and I was working on a multitude of medical cases where we couldn't even, we had to work on getting special permissions for air ambulances to transfer patients um, from one point to another. So that was one side of the chaos. Second side of the chaos on September 12th or 13th, like sales stopped, no one was traveling. So, um, so for it took the industry of about a month or two months to start recovering and the recovery was pretty fast. Uh, but then the awareness of travel insurance was really high as well. Uh, and that's when um, insurance companies had to start looking into how they're gonna start uh, accommodating the fear of travel, right? Or, um, uh, and looking into different type of benefits. But then quickly after that, you know, now thinking back, you know, tsunami in Thailand, for example. Uh, I remember that in, in over Christmas, right? Uh, several years ago, uh, thousands of people were uh, uh, died or were stranded, um, or then uh, Ebola, SARS, um, ash volcano, right? All of these kind of events, they have an impact on on traveling, on travel, and travel insurance in general, and the way we travel, and 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 now looking back, my question would be: Why is it that travel insurance products don't adapt to that? Because there's so many changes that are taking place within the world, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think it's it's an opportunity for new companies like Battleface to rise up because um, traditional carriers have been they built their systems around legacy distribution channels, legacy kind of old ways of traveling. Um, and, and even the way we created our rating module, it's very specific to your destination, to your age and to the number of days of travel and to your activities. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's, we feel that that's, the, that's a proper way to rate policies and it's fair on the consumers and underwriters, insurance companies, because you can't leave out the insurance companies as the bad guys, quote unquote, because at the end of the day, um, they're trying to do what's, what's right, right? So if, if the products are priced correctly uh, and consumers are willing to pay for it, um, then, then there's no reason why insurance companies cannot be innovative or create these products and create these coverages. So that's why it was easy for us to work with Lloyds of London, for example, and add COVID-19 for uh, medical expense coverage or uh, open up different destinations for coverage. And uh, so, for example, like, you know, you see in the traditional channels, like, you know, you're buying a 50-pound policy to go to Spain and a 50-pound policy to go to the United States, where it, it logically makes no sense because medical care in the United States is much higher than it would be in Spain, right? So... So that's where I think there's, a, there's a, an issue um, with the way products are created and rated, so. Mm -hmm. So what's, what's changed, what's, what's changed for you guys at the, at the end of this year that you hadn't foreseen at the start of the year? Because obviously 
you know, if we were innocently having this conversation 12 months ago, um, not knowing this is going to happen, has, has the company sort of changed course or is it just in new products and things have come out or, or, or is it something more fundamental? No, I, I think I think what we learned when we were starting out, like creating the platform that actually is adaptable to change and mm -hmm. is adaptable to disasters, was a great kind of like oh wow, like like what we were building is actually makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, I think what changed is the consumer behavior and the knowledge of what's what they need. Um, that's a that's like a that's like a Hollywood movie ending, right, where everyone is like knows exactly what they need to yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, before I think before COVID-19 you know like my mom for example you know in the story of my mom she would have no idea what she was buying she would have no idea why she needs travel insurance um, and she would um, um, and she wouldn't even know what to look for nowadays she would because there's so much of awareness there's so much of discussions and there's like this international requirement for you to have proper travel insurance mm -hmm. and some countries are actually stepping up and saying you need partic these particular benefits like in, case, in case of Costa Rica or Brazil um, when you go into the travel requirements into these countries they tell you your policy needs to have this particular limit your policy needs to have uh, COVID-19 cover and so on and it just keeps going on and on and I think that's going to stay um, and I think uh, and I think also consumers, I've never heard, you know, before COVID-19, uh, anyone mentioning pandemic cover or um, travel warnings, right? So because you don't think about that uh, when you travel. Um, and now it's like one of the first two questions uh, that uh, travelers are asking. So, and I think, yeah, and I think what really changed for us is the, of course, the growth um, that was almost overnight. That's like, again, the success story of a startup, all of a sudden, you know, it's a hockey stick up. Um, and then, and then, yeah, and uh, it was amazing to see all the Trustpilot reviews, so customers' feedback, how easy it is, how flexible it is, um, uh, the customer service aspect of it. Um, that was another thing that was um, that was very interesting for me to see is that consumers, I, I thought specifically in, in England, people just don't trust travel insurance companies. You know, like when we're... For, <laughs> I think we don't trust insurance companies. It's, it's, it's like, it's just like every phone call is just like this doubtful, right? Like how, what's the catch, you know? Yeah. Um, uh, can I do this? Can I do that? And, uh, and, um, and for example, like the pre-existing medical condition, we've made a decision that we're not going to go through the medical screening process and we'll just have the 12 months period. You know, if you, if you were treated for anything in the last 12 months, that specific condition would be excluded, but we didn't want to go through the process of interviewing you, asking for your medical history, excluding cover. Um, and, and, um, so we just made it simple mm -hmm. and, that whole process like kind of like shifted the behavior of travelers because they didn't understand why they liked it. And some of course didn't because they had um, medical problems that they wanted to ensure. Um, uh, or for example, um, refunding your policy. Many, many travel insurance companies out there would not refund you the policy if you didn't call them within 14 days of the uh, look back period. Um, uh, and then if they do, they have a 25 pound, mm. 45 pound administration fee. And I, I, the, the administration fee, I still don't understand. You know, it's just like, what exactly 
Like, what? Are, why is it a fact? Maybe it's back in the day when you know you had to write a check. <laughs> Maybe that was mm-hmm. <laughs> was a fee, but it literally one click of the button for you to refund somebody. Somebody there shouldn't be an administration fee, and especially in this days uh, when travel is so uncertain, um, and travel insurance companies there shouldn't be any reason why uh, consumers cannot be refunded the full premium if they're not using the policy, right? Yeah. Especially if they call you before they're supposed to travel. So things like that, that's very little things that were quite interesting. And, and of course, you know, again, those are all coming up in the course of doing business, not why we started buying place. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's, it's so interesting, the consumer thing, because I've, I've, I've been, um, I'm in the process of moving house. And um, it's really interesting going through that process. And, and it's another sort of equally old industry you know the idea of buying houses the sort of legal process um you know um and it's been really interesting looking at that in the perspective of talking to lots of people that are kind of entrepreneurial and and doing new things and there's admin fees on that and and they're charging me for postage and uh you know i'm like don't post anything to me. I don't want any post. I don't, I don't you know, and, and that admin fee, I, I've come a cropper with that actually on my travel insurance because um, I had it renewed and then I decided I wasn't going to travel much and then and then wanted it back and then the 25 pounds. And I think we're in an age now where it's so transparent about, um, you know, quality of service um, and and you get exposed on things like you know on, on review sites and um, and that's such a positive thing because I think one of the criticism of the industry as a whole is the lack of simplicity. So little things like saying we only want to know about the last twelve months if there's anything medically that we can exclude is so kind of welcomed by the consumer because I think so, a lot of the mistrust from the consumer is is in the overtly complex nature of insurance and. I understand that, but we also kind of need to put we need to put ourselves in the in the consumer's shoes and say, does a consumer want a twenty page document to explain what yeah. isn't isn't covered? Um, and, and and the answer is no, because they're never going to reach it and they're never going to understand it. And I think when you when someone as a consumer feels like a, client, uh, a service is being hidden behind sort of legalese and and complex questions inherently you distrust them i think yeah i think so and then it's like a, i mean a lot of people are you know asking me questions like where does innovation come from and i mean the secret is the customers right so and uh, as a as a team we're all involved with customers we talk to you know we take customer service phone calls we respond to emails and you have to be in tune when i see like like the big kind of like the uh, traditional CEOs of the companies on interviews, you know, you can tell they have no idea what they're talking about because it's all generic answers, right? Um, yeah. It's not very specific. So there, a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of CEOs and a lot of traditional companies are just so far removed from the customer. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, uh, and then the very customer service kind of frontline um, employees are not giving any permission to be innovative, right? So they're, uh, and that's where I think that's uh, like the very first step, for example, in the very simple terms, when when you're making a call to your insurance company or any company, right? And then and the customer service agent is not even able to make a decision, um, then that's that's something that, that's wrong with the company, I think as well, mm-hmm. where you have to be you know, asking for a manager or supervisor or whoever to, to get something done. Um, 
everyone should be um, uh, in tune with the customer, with the product and continue to make changes. And even with our company, uh, you know, what was relevant yesterday might not be relevant today. Uh, and we, um, we continue to make that change. Like for example, in the, here in the United States, um, you know, we have a troop cancellation benefit on our products. And we've noticed that consumers were buying um, full trip cancellation cover, which is the most expensive part of travel insurance policy because it's based on the percentage of the uh, uh, total trip costs, sometimes between six to 10%. But then we've noticed that the, the travel dates before, you know, before when you bought the policy and before you travel were like a day or the same day of travel, right? So consumers didn't even know what they were buying because trip cancellation usually is, you know, months in advance. So you're, you're buying that benefit um, to protect uh, your investment in case, you know, you're not able to travel, but then you don't really need that benefit if you're traveling tomorrow. So, and uh, so we're, cha we're changing our products now where in the US we're gonna offer that as an add-on and not as an upfront question. But I think it's going to be very difficult for a travel insurance company to shift their thinking because obviously that's that's a very profitable line of business. Mm -hmm. So decisions have to be made on behalf of consumers, and um, and a lot of companies re rely on regulators to tell them what to do, which is I think is the right approach. Uh, but also you need to combine it with the actual customers um, who are who are you working with. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's not good enough to go. This is the legal minimum thing that we need to do. <laughs> you know, we've spotted yeah. a loophole. Um, but that's uh, no, I think that's absolutely true. I think innovation coming from the customer, and you know, I have empathy. You have empathy for legacy businesses or big incumbent players because the ability to sort of structure their communication flow so it's coming directly from the customer facing um you know staff is, is is difficult it's making changes at scale are difficult and, and that's where kind of newer startup focused businesses you know can have a massive impact on an industry um that they can implement change a lot quicker yeah and, uh, and i think like um and this is where i think the legacy players or insurance carriers themselves i think they have they have an advantage over startups because they can easily, obviously they have a lot of money, they have a lot of, they should have a lot of resources, they should be able to innovate. For some reason it's not happening and we've seen this for decades over and over and over. That's why um, uh, startups or innovation is always um, kind of like in the forefront. But um, we're right now we, we have a lot of um, partners that are coming our way and saying, can we, can you do something for our customers? And in the traditional world, uh, you will see the exact same products being distributed from uh, insurance carriers' websites to their partner websites. Hmm. And that's one thing that we are finding out is that the partners that we're working with, um, their customers are completely different set of customers. Um, and, and this is where the, the next thing for Battleface is, is we're gonna start custom building products for our partners. Because whoever comes to battleface.com, those are your younger travelers, surfers, divers, kind of adventure travelers. Yes, it works for, um, for general travelers as well. But then there are partners that, let's say, um, uh, let's say like uh, Airbnb of the world or airlines of the world, their customers are doing completely different things. And mm -hmm. they are different purchase paths. They're different thinking. They're different benefits that they would be looking for. So this is where 
what we would be doing, we would be custom building products for these uh, partners, um, but then still apply the same uh, uh, the same processes behind the products, customer service, technology, delivery of policy documents, making it simple, and then the 24-7 assistance. Uh, and this is where I think uh, yet another opportunity for new companies to come in is to start custom building products um, and not reselling the exact same products um, that you're selling on your own website because every brand and every customer of that brand has unique needs essentially so yeah so yeah, yeah I, I even think that because even when i'm personally traveling from my own experience is that i've done i've done more adventurous travel and i've tended to sort of build that myself a bit more bespoke and then i and then i'm you know if i'm going via booking.com and just going for a sort of hotel and it, it in itself i i know that i use different pathways to book different types of holidays and yeah. so the, the cover I would need from both of those kind of routes is automatically different. Um, so, yeah, that, that's a really interesting point. Um, one thing I wanted to talk to you about, because um, obviously you, you've successfully raised um, some investment capital this year um, on quite some scale. Um, so, well, congratulations, because uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of people after that sort of capital at the moment and um, it's not easy to get. But... I wanted to sort of talk to you about how was that in the context of pandemic? Were you doing remote pitches or, or was it quite far down the line already that sort of you were just sort of picking up on it? No, I think, I think, I mean, yeah, it wasn't that difficult. I think the, uh, you kind of, what we raised uh, our seed round um, in uh, 2019, early 2020. Yeah. Uh, and so and through that process, you meet a lot of people. Yeah. And, and, and when you meet people, they say, you know, like, oh yeah, go ahead with your seed. But then once you get to the series A stage, talk to me. Then of course, referrals, referrals, referrals. Um, and then the naturally um, Drive Capital, who we started to work with, uh, was referred to us uh, through the network of that we currently have had. Um, and, and they took a really interesting approach. They flew out to meet with us face to face, wearing masks, of course. Um, but uh, at least it was an interaction that we got to meet each other. Please, please tell me you sold them some cover before they flew. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to, yes. Uh, but yeah, they were, I think that was quite, they took a, and the interesting part was, and I don't know if it's, again, the our culture or the way we, we speak, but I think they were interested in the reason they, I think, I, I didn't ask them this, I should, but I, I was concentrating on the things that we are not good at <laughs> when I was raising. So, so here's what we're good at. We're good at, you know, insurance services, technology, customer service product, which in their world, um, that's the most difficult part, right? Um, because they were, they love the aspect of uh, innovation and insurance. And, mm -hmm. and, 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 and they said it over and over that you figured out the most difficult part, but then the, stuff that we were not, we were we were weak at uh like you know like unit economics and all the harvard questions that you get you know uh or engineering or data science and ai and everything else that now is the next phase of the company this is what drive capital was phenomenal at uh and they've had experience with previous uh companies that they uh invested in and uh so there was kind of like a good marriage and i think um 
and and that was the approach that was quite successful is you know when you go into raising um you know uh, you gotta you gotta talk about what you want to do and what you need help with because mm-hmm. what i've learned is that venture capital companies or any investors they they want to help to grow the business right so and then what what are the areas that they can concentrate in? Um, so I think, I mean, yeah, I think at the end, um, I think it was not difficult because we were growing so fast. Um, and then we've established relationships already uh, from our seed raise. Um, uh, what I think was difficult for me, uh, well, not difficult actually, for me, it was a very easy decision immediately to work with Drive Capital because of their approach mm-hmm. uh, and, and personalities. It makes a huge difference as well, so. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, this I've talked to quite a few people on the podcast that have raised capital, and, and the thing that keeps coming up is, is you know, is, is sort of smart money, you know, as in the right fit, and, you know, you, you, the way you sort of weave there strong, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a relationship, but, but secondly, on, you know, it's, 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 um, it's a, it's a it's a business marriage, right? And you've got to you've got to get on well with your partner. Um, there's got to be a relationship there. Um, exactly. I, I, <laughs> I always use that term, marriage. I always use it when I'm talking about you know hiring people because um, my thing is sort of always when sort of people are interviewing, it's like you're just dating. No one's getting married yet. And then, but but when you are committing to sort of work with anyone, whether it be an investment partner or going work for them as in a as an employer um you you are committing lots of your time you know you'll you'll probably see that person more than your family um and i think it's particularly an apt thing to say about kind of venture capital money or investment money because it's uh it's usually a really expensive divorce process as well so um (laughs) and then it's like my favorite aunt she was married multiple times she always said that marriage has to be easy right (laughs) yeah yeah. (laughs) so she kept moving on to the her next uh, uh, her next uh, uh, marriage, and uh, and then yeah, it kind of stuck in my brain because she's been saying that to me ever since I was like a kid. Uh, the relationships have to be easy, and you're right. And I think it has to be from you know, for personal, professional, and and even with investors too. Like I've spoken mm-hmm. to so many investors who were just immediately going into the conversation doubting you, right? So it's mm-hmm. like it's like a casting call, right? Like when when you want to be an actor and you just keep getting shut down. And that was just like, I couldn't understand why that was the case. You know, like, obviously we're successful. Obviously we're doing something that we know, you know, it's not like we're just fresh off the street and all of a sudden we want to do something in travel insurance. And um, like my, uh, like Paul, for example, who is overseeing our UK operation, he was a Lloyds of London underwriter of travel insurance and accident and health for the last 40 years. So obviously he, you know, Paul has street cred in terms Mm -hmm. of, creating products and seeing and many many times um paul and i we don't agree on underwriting or benefits but he's always kind of like he always prevailed in terms of the decision making because you just can't argue with the level of experience Mm. um and uh so yeah and so yeah i think i I think many vc companies that i was talking to they were just you know doubtful and and i know that's their job but um but i think there's ways of how to approach it and uh, and the successful ones the ones that we were working with approached it from a very diplomatic very kind of relationship building perspective like this is all fantastic where can we help and where do you need help in what areas so for example in 
our seed raise, uh, our lead investor is a reinsurance company out of Cayman Islands, Greenlight Reinsurance. And, and that's a fantastic kind of strategic uh, partner uh, because eventually, you know, we would want to add additional capacity be behind our products. And, and they're extremely helpful in terms of um, giving us support from, you know, from actuarial perspective or product development perspective or just feedback. And uh, so you need to have kind of all different um, uh, backgrounds in, in, uh, in your, I guess, uh, I guess uh, circles, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, what's the um, what's the objective with it, with the capital? And I know we talked briefly. You and you mentioned just there, kind of sort of some of the some of the things you'd want to look at as engineering, data sciences. Um, is is it to hire and grow the team, and um, is is that the main sort of driver of the capital? Yeah, that's that's primarily like yeah yeah. I was talking to our team yesterday, and there's you know the job descriptions that we're putting together. I'm like, I've never even heard of these titles before. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's uh, it's quite uh, it's quite it's awesome just to go through this experience. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah, it's basically looking at the company from all different directions and where we can have the biggest impact. Again, at the end, making travel insurance relevant, um, and and how can we use data um, to um, to continue to make a difference within the product pricing benefits and um, and services services is a big thing as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, we're uh, we're expanding on our engineering team. I mean, I do have one challenge. I have to do it from Columbus, Ohio. <laughs> That's where we're moving our headquarters. You have to do that. <laughs> yeah, but we're you know we're building a global company, so it's it definitely is. We'll continue to hire talented people from around the world. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, for example, one big thing we're doing is making sure that we continue to offer 24-7 services without building one big call center and yep. utilize different time zones. Like yesterday, I was talking to a customer who was from Newcastle, and he's like, where are you from? And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm based in Virginia. He's like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And then once you start telling the story, um, you know, like, oh, yeah, we're building a global company, and, and that's why we're 24-7, people just are, like, they're surprised by that, and they, and they love it because... Uh, sometimes, you know, customer calls us at two o'clock in the morning, UK time, and they, we answer here in the US and I'll go ahead to see what time your, your, what your business hours are. And, uh, uh, and, and you can do that with today's technology. You don't need to build a 24 seven call center with three shifts, right? Yeah. Everyone can continue to be in, uh, in the, in the time zone, uh, where they are. And from travel perspective on the medical assistance side, you know, the phone call at two o'clock in the morning phone call is going to go come from that time zone anyway. Uh, no one's going to call. That's how we uh, operate. And you provide the most, like, the most effective services uh, when you do that. So, yeah, it would be difficult for us to build that out of Columbus. So glo global aspect of the company will continue to develop. Mm -hmm. But in Columbus, we're hiring uh, engineers, marketing, uh, like product people. So, for example, one of the things... Uh, um, when I was talking to Drive, they were saying, oh, you need someone who's going to oversee product. And I'm like, oh, yeah, underwriters, of course. And they're like, no, 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 that has nothing to do with underwriting from a marketing perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, there's already a shift in, in thinking, uh, at least from my perspective, on how we can approach the business from more analytical uh, side of things, technology, data science, AI, uh, how we can improve because most of our business is so direct to consumer focused um, and uh, 
and how can we automate not the customer service aspect of it because we still believe in the human correspondence, but the actual technicalities, like I want to change my policy, I want to edit my travel dates, I want to, you know, mm-hmm. I want to renew my policy and, and things like that. So yeah, yeah. And and that's I think that's exactly right. I think there's a balance, isn't there, between I think people want to feel when they're buying something like travel insurance or, or certainly utilizing it, you want it to be as frictionless as possible, but you want that human touch because that's you know that, that human touch in travel, particularly in the in in the face of as you said, unfortunately, you're never really talking to people when it's a good situation. That's when you want a human on the phone um, and and someone that knows what they're talking about to help you. But most of the time, the kind of admin of of insurance, you want it as frictionless and as quick and easy as you can. Um, I wanted to just um, sort of briefly, um, I'm conscious of our time and I'll I'll bring this to a a close. But um, obviously, you're building this global company, um, being remotely onboarding people um, as you go. How are you going to approach or what's your thoughts really on maintaining it? a company culture when you're trying to do sort of a global sort of a global business that's in different time zones how do you maintain that kind of company culture yeah that's that's probably the most challenging part as well uh and with your background you probably know this more than i do but i think it's i guess again again it's like all kind of uh like for example, we just had our first remote Christmas party, and it just go, went on for like hours. <laughs> we even had the you know like in the traditional world where you have like a group of people that just stay at the bar yeah. <laughs> for yeah. hours after everyone's gone. We even had that you know like six people just after everyone left yeah. just continued to have drinks and talk and laugh and so oh. that, that was, I think that was that was like. It was impromptu. That was I even called it non-obligatory Christmas party, and, yeah. they, <laughs> and people were joining in and out. So, and I think it was just. And I remember, I remember starting to give like an inspirational speech uh, to everyone, and they're like, "Just shut up, you know." <laughs> and we just drink and have a good time. <laughs> so it's like you just got to be normal, right? So you can just be stiff and try to try hard enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I think constant con- communication, I think is gonna, is, is a key, um, making the phone call to each other and speaking and we were dreaming of, and we have this dream internally that we're going to get together in 2021 somewhere, somehow mm-hmm. uh, for a gathering. So everyone's having that dream. Um, uh, but yeah, I think, I think not, again, COVID-19 is helping, right? Because, you know, all of a sudden everyone's remote, everyone's getting used to it. Um, but I think it's going to be, yeah, I don't have an answer. I think it's just uh, try to be human, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I, I think you're right. I think it's one of those unique challenges that's getting thrown up, um, that, you know, some culturally businesses have done it, um, you know, tech for, for cause I've, I've done, I've done quite a lot of tech and data science stuff in the past for insurance. And a lot of the challenges have been that that was already an industry that adopted remote working. So you'd have people that were very resistant to coming into the office. Um, and then there was always the pushback from the client saying, we need people in the office because we want to be part of the culture. And now we've got to adapt to a world where most roles at the moment, at least are remote only. Um, and then with sort of, there's so many schools of thought on how do we sort of maintain a culture. But I think, I think be human is such a, simple but actually the right phrase is that you know we know that people 
need a phone call and they need a Zoom call and, and they need people need to be included. And essentially communication needs to be as, as good as it can be whilst accepting that sadly there are some elements of it you're just going to miss. Um, um, but, but I think hiring the right people, it speaks very highly of your business that you've got people that still wanted to stay on that call and, you know, stay on that Zoom and have the, have the Christmas drinks. Um, and I think that's, um, you know, that is a unique challenge as you get bigger as well. You know, you sort of lose some of that culture. But, um, yeah, it's a, it's a challenge I think we're all going to be facing, uh, particularly next year. So, um, look... Sasha, thank you so much. I, I won't take up any more of your time. I was very conscious that we um, we said 45 and we've gone on a little bit longer than that. But um, it sounds like it's going to be really exciting for 2021. But if there's any um, product people out there, data engineers, uh, data scientists, um, where can they where can they keep tabs on where they might apply for jobs for you? Battleface.com. Yeah, that was <laughs> quite easy to find it. So. <laughs> yeah. But Sasha, uh, thank you once again for your time. I really, really appreciate it. And um, look, I look forward to seeing what you guys do next year. Thank you. So that was Sasha from Battleface. Thank you, Sasha, for taking the time out. Really appreciate it, as always. Um, this podcast is brought to you by FinPro. FinPro is an insurance and insurtech search business um, operate on the global basis. If you want to find out more about our executive recruitment services, please visit the website at uh, wearefinpro.com. Um, I've been your host, Alex Bond. Um, the easiest way to get hold of me is usually on LinkedIn. Um, that's Alex Bond at Fin pro or alternatively feel free to email me directly um, that's alex at wearefinpro.com i'm always on the lookout for feedback good or bad and of course if you think you've got a story to tell or one of your team has a story to tell and you think we would benefit from having them on the podcast then absolutely would love to hear from you but i hope you enjoyed uh, my conversation with sasha from battleface and i look forward to hearing with, from you next week